I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Lamentations. We're going to be in Lamentations chapter 3 that we read at the beginning of the service. And it's a joy and a privilege to be here with you this morning and uh, to celebrate Harvest Day. And as you make your way to Lamentations chapter 3, I think there are a lot of metaphors in Scripture. There are a lot of images that Scripture uses. But I think increasingly the one that is most relevant and perhaps the most enlightening is the imagery that the Scripture uses about agriculture, especially when it comes to the church. I mean, you look throughout the New Testament and we see it over and over again. Jesus tells us we are to abide in him because he is the vine and we are the branches. You remember that passage? We are told that we are to bear fruit as we abide in him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul tells the church in Corinth, you are God's field. And as we're here on harvest day, I think it's important for us to, to really think about what harvest represents. I know, uh, if I understand correctly, the tradition of Harvest Day and, and is kind of rooted in, in agriculture and, and this time of year. But I know we've kind of moved away from that. We're not, we're not, we're not all farmers in here. Uh, but I, I think it's important for us to remember the, the metaphor because sometimes I th- we forget just what it's like to be people who work the land, people who have to deal with seasons, people who harvest and then rest. If you go look at this field across the street here, to an untrained eye, you would go look at that field and you would say, that looks bad. There's nothing growing there. I don't see any fruit. How, what is, what's going on there? There's nothing happening. And yet, to someone who knows what's going on, you know that there has just been a harvest. And if we're being honest, a lot of times we think of the church the same way, that if we're not seeing immediate fruit, if we're not seeing immediate results, we think, well, something's not happening. Things aren't working. The church isn't growing. Things aren't taking place. But, you know, any farmer who who looks out on his field doesn't go by the day-to-day appearance of things, right? You don't see the growth of your crop in a day. You see it over months, right? You see it over longer periods of time. And when we think about this agricultural metaphor, I think it's important for us to remember that if if God told Paul to write that the Corinthian church is God's field, any of us who spend a little bit of time looking into really the Old Testament but also in agriculture in general, we know that sometimes the land has to rest. Sometimes you have to allow the the soil to to rest and recuperate, to regain the nutrients. And so when we come to church life, I'm afraid what we often do is we think of it as a field that ought to be constantly producing, constantly growing. We ought to see constant fruit. And yet, I think what's more true in the life of a church, especially a church that's been around for over 230 years like Poplar Spring is, you have seasons. There are seasons where you're reaping a harvest and there are seasons where you're planting. There are seasons where you're watching the growth and then there are seasons where you're praying that the seed will take root. I think 
harvest day, when we, when we think about a harvest, every harvest is a reminder of God's faithfulness, God's provision, the fact that God provided again. And you know what I want you to realize? God's faithfulness is the only faithfulness that's measured in millennia and decades and centuries. You know, for us, some of us, our, our faithfulness might be measured in, in minutes. Our, barely, maybe even. Our faithfulness might be measured in seconds. And yet for God, His faithfulness, His goodness, His provision is measured by centuries and millennia. And when we come to Lamentations chapter 3, we have a very poignant and a very beautiful reminder of God's faithfulness. And so what I'd like to do this morning is I want us to look at Lamentations 3 and I want us to have an honest conversation, an honest look at what we think about Poplar Spring and what we need to look for in the future. If I had to narrow down or pick some of the phrases that I've heard the most in our nine months being here, one of the ones that comes to mind is this phrase, what we used to do, blank. And there's nothing wrong with doing things. Listen, I'm not talking about change just for change's sake. But when we think about God's faithfulness, I think what we see is that his past, his faithfulness, is not meant for us to necessarily dwell on the past, but it's to look forward to a hopeful future. And so what I want us to do this morning is examine this passage and really just apply it to Poplar Spring. Where I think we are and where I hope by God's grace to be headed. So let's look at Lamentations chapter 3 beginning in verse 21. It says, Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word and, and examine it, God, help us to see, God, what our church needs is, is not a program, but a person. And what we need to trust in is not our own works, but your great faithfulness. And Lord, that doesn't mean that we are lazy or uh, not willing to put in the sweat and the labor. But, but just like a farmer, we, we sweat and labor trusting, trusting that you will provide. Lord, bless this time together as we look into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. A lot of times when these verses are read, they're kind of taken out of context. And we lose the, the punch of what Jeremiah is saying. And so what I want to do is just show you very briefly. Back, if you skip, or if you go back just a couple of verses, back in verse 16... The book of Lamentations is all about the destruction of Jerusalem. Jeremiah the prophet has witnessed it. He's seen horrific things and it has led to him questioning. He, he's struggling. And when we get to verses 16 through 18, look at how he describes it. 
He says, He ground my teeth with gravel and made me cower in dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. And then I thought, My future is lost as well as my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them and I have become depressed. Now, if we stop right there, Jeremiah is depressed. He's struggling. He says, my future is lost as well as my hope from the Lord. He's, he's lost hope in some sense because of what he looks at and what he sees. And if we're honest, that might be some of us here this morning. We look at Poplar Spring and we say, what hope is there? Uh, what, what good is there? I look at these things and I, and I see all the things we don't have. I see all the things we don't do. I see how we're, we're struggling with this and we're struggling with that. And if we're honest, we might say the future is lost. What is the future for Poplar Spring Baptist Church? And not only is the future lost, but look at verse 18. He says, not only is the future lost, but my hope from the Lord. He says, even the hope that I used to have is not there. Listen, churches go through cycles. And if I said, if I asked you a question, there's no doubt in my mind you would think of a certain period. So let me ask the question and see what comes to your mind. What was the golden age of Poplar Spring? What comes to mind? Maybe you're looking at that and you think, and, and, and like Jeremiah, it's like my hope from the Lord. This is what it used to be. This is how great it used to be. I remember seeing Jerusalem and all the beauty and all its goodness, and now it's not the same. Things have changed. We've, we, we've undergone this, this transition, and now my future is lost as well as my hope from the Lord. And so if we're just being honest, sometimes some of us despair. We... We wonder, is, is, is Poplar Spring done? It, has, it, has it been brought so low that it cannot be brought back up? But that's not where Jeremiah stays, is it? Jeremiah's honest, and we need to be honest, but that's not where Jeremiah stays. He says in verse 20, I continually remember them, all of this affliction... And have become to breast. And then comes the turn in verse 21. And that's what we want to do here this morning. I want the turn to take place in your heart and in your mind. Verse 21. Yet this I call to mind. Notice he calls it to himself. It's not passive. He looks at it and he, he takes hold of something. And he says, and therefore I have hope. What does he call to mind? What is the this that he talks about? It's exactly what he says in verses 22 through 24. What is it that gives Jeremiah hope? What is it that gives us hope this morning? Verse 22. Therefore I have hope. Why? Because of the Lord's faithful love we do not perish. Think about how long Poplar Spring has been around. It was founded in 1788. That is before the Southern Baptist Convention was formed. That was before the Civil War. It's been around a while. And because of the Lord's faithful love, it has not perished. Think of all the churches that have come and gone in that time. 
Churches that were started maybe in the 50s and the 60s, recently by, by a, a big view of time and, and, and history, started recently and yet have died. They've closed the doors. And yet, here we are. We're meeting, we're singing, we're praising, I'm preaching. We have small groups that are meeting. And so he sees the faithful love that means that the church or that Jerusalem and and we could say that this church has not perished. How is that possible? What is it that has led to Poplar Spring being around for so long? Jeremiah tells us because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. Why? For his mercies never end. God has not failed to be merciful to Poplar Spring. Now, notice it's mercy. God has not failed. What is mercy? Mercy is withholding what we deserve. If we're guilty of a crime and the judge says, I will show you mercy and I will shorten your sentence, that's not something we deserve, right? And so... Regardless of what we may deserve as a church, we're still here and God's mercies is, God's mercies, plural, continue. Not only do they continue, look at verse 23, they are new every morning. There's a difference between bread that you buy in a bag from Sam's and then fresh baked bread. I love fresh baked bread. One of the worst things somebody ever told me is that there are diets out there where you don't eat carbs. (laughs) Who would do that? Why is that even a thing? I don't know. But notice, we're, we're never eating the leftovers of God's mercy. They're new every morning. We, we, we never reach the bottom of it. And anything that we take in need of his mercy, we lay our heads down and we wake up. And lo and behold, his mercies are new. They're full. They're abundant. His mercy is more. And so Jeremiah sees this and notice what his response is. What does he say? Great is your faithfulness. God has been incredibly faithful to Poplar Spring Baptist Church. And I'm not saying that just because I'm here, all right? Over 200 years, God has been faithful, that God has provided, that God has sustained, that God has led, that God has protected, that God has equipped. Just think about all the day-to-day faithfulness. If any of you are good at at math, just think about this. Let's start doing the math, okay? How many Sundays are there in a year? 52, right? What's 52 times uh, 200? Anybody? What's that? 102? I don't think so. 50 times 52 times 200. We're about 10,000, right? I don't know. I'm, re- I'm genuinely, I don't want to try to figure this out and embarrass me. I'd rather you be embarrassed. So. But, but, but think about all the Sundays that God has been faithful, that God has showed up 
over the years, family after family, child after child, grandchild after grandchild, great-grandchild, all the way down through the generations. Great is His faithfulness. The very fact that we are here this morning is a testimony to God's faithfulness. So what does Jeremiah say? He's looked at his circumstances. Now he looks at the Lord and he says, Great is your faithfulness. And then look at verse 24. I say to, uh, sorry, I say, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. He takes everything into account. He sees the circumstances, but he knows the Lord. And he says, even though I am here, I know that what I ultimately get is here. What does it mean to say that the Lord is my portion? He's saying that I know that what I get, despite everything else, is the Lord. I get the Lord, His faithfulness, His goodness to me, His provision to me. And notice, again, He says, Therefore, I will put my hope in Him. Notice the contrast, right? My future is lost. All my hope from the Lord is gone. And then twice He says, I have hope. In verse 21, verse 24, Therefore, I will put my hope, where? In Him. So what is the hope for Poplar Spring? Jeremiah tells us it's in the Lord. It's in the Lord. Don't put your hope in me. I'm not putting my hope in you. Sorry. Our hope is in God's faithfulness. So what does this mean for us as a church? I I want to talk through some very practical ways that we need to keep this in mind in moving forward. And the first thing I want us to understand is what Jeremiah is doing in, in a play on words that he has. Okay? First of all, look at verse 24. It says, Therefore I will put my hope in him. That word that's used there, the word hope, it also means I will wait. And isn't that what hoping is? Waiting, trusting, Waiting and trusting, waiting and trusting. And so he says, I will hope. I will wait. I will wait and see what the Lord does. I know who he is. I know what he can do. And so I will wait. And by waiting, we are expressing our trust and our hope. So notice he's he's doing this play on words of waiting and hoping. And then we get to verse 25, right? What does it say? Why would we want to wait? Why would we want to trust the Lord? What does verse 25 say? The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. And so let me just, let me be very frank, okay? We, We have to be careful that we're not trying to rush God in what he hopes to do here at Poplar Spring. There, there's a difference, there's a subtle difference where we, we, we wait, and then while we wait, we work. But there's, there's also a mindset that says, let's just work, because we can't wait. God, you're not, you're not bringing in the numbers that we want to see, so we've got to do more. 
God, you're not, you're not leading people to step up, so, so we've got to do more. God, you're not, you're, we're not seeing this, we're not seeing that. We're looking at the field and it looks, it looks like it, it needs a lot of work. But sometimes, can I suggest this, that sometimes we just need to wait. The Lord's timing is not our timing. God will do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. We ought to labor. We ought to be faithful. Again, this is not an excuse for laziness. But there is the very clear truth in verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. And so here's my prayer for Poplar Spring. I want us to wait and trust God in such a way that when he finally moves, we know it was him, not us. Yes, let's be doing Sunday school. Yes, let's be doing these small groups. Yes, let's be meeting. Let's be stepping out and volunteering. But those are not to force God's hand. We do that while we wait. And we wait. And we wait. And then when God is ready to do what he wants to do, he will. Why would we want to do that? It's good for those to wait for him. We live... You, you understand this. This is not something that's earth-shaking, ground-shattering revelation, right? We live in a hurried society, right? I mean, we live in a hurried society. And yet, when the scriptures were written, it was primarily agriculture. And it was, it was, they, they, were, they slowed down. They, they, knew, they moved at a different speed. And we need to keep that in mind when we talk about the church being God's build, building, God's field and so it says it's good to those who wait for him so we need to wait on the lord but then look at verse 26 he says it's good to wait quietly for salvation from the lord what does it mean what what is jeremiah talking about he's he's saying it's good to wait for the lord to do what only he can do if the lord is the only way of salvation If the Lord is the only one strong enough to save, then it's good for us to wait for him to do what only he can do. See, a lot of times why we get so so antsy and so uh, just anxious about the church is because if we're being honest, what we're trying to do is we're trying to do what only God can do. We're hoping that if, 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 and, and I'll just use myself as an example, where this temptation comes up. If I could just preach like some of these other guys, people would, would come forward. Or if we could have music like these other churches, people would come forward. But, but music doesn't take somebody from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only God can do that. And so sometimes we are not willing to wait for God to do what only God can do. We want to... We, we want to make it happen ourselves because we, we don't want to wait. We, we get panicky. I was thinking about it the other day. and uh, do, we, do we have anybody who, who deals with horses that ride horses? Anybody? No? Okay. Well, you know, riding a horse. I don't ride horses either. I just know about it. All right. So, so anyway, I watch it on TV. I'm not a horse rider, but I play one on TV. Um, but, but one of the things that, that I've read and, and that I've, you know, listening to guys talk about how to ride a horse. And one of the things is that you have a bit in the horse's mouth, right? And that, that directs which way the horse goes. And I saw uh, this guy explain one time that 
they were talking about, what do I do with my horse who just seems so antsy? Like, it's not calm. It's just kind of like, it's always moving, and it's going here, and it's going there, and it never just... And the guy just said, well, here's, here's what you need to do. You need to understand that you're doing a lot more with your hands than you realize. He says, you know, you're riding your horse and you're talking and you're, you're leaning back and you're pointing up here and you're doing this. And, and all of that is sending communication to the horse. You know, horse is a, is a smart animal. And it says, basically, the way your horse is interpreting that is it's got about five or six people giving them all different directions all at the same time. And whenever that happens to me, when he put it like that, I instantly understood why the horse was anxious, right? You ever had five or six people talking to you all at the same time? It's just like, ooh, you know, so, so no wonder. So his suggestion was, I want you to rest your hands. I want you to put your hands and don't move them. He said, if the horse goes a little bit this way, that's okay. You don't have to correct him every time. If he goes this way a little bit, you don't have to correct him every time. It's what a horse does. And your horse will calm down when you calm down. And as I thought about it, that's what I thought, you know, a lot of the anxiety that we have about our church is anxiety that we have created ourselves. It's an anxiety because we're constantly moving and we feel like we've got to be constantly moving. And if we're not constantly doing something, and yet if we would just, let's just calm and trust. The Lord is going to lead us. The Lord is going to save us. So why do we need to learn how to wait and to hope? Well, because it's good for those to uh, do it. Because we can trust that God will do what only He can do. But then in verse 27, I want you to see this. It says, it is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is still young. Now, what in the world does that mean? Essentially, what Jeremiah is saying is, look, there's a reason that some tasks are for the young bucks, right? Can I get an Amen. There's something that you look at, you look at that tree limb that fell in your yard, and you say, I have a son and a grandson that that is perfect for, right? There are jobs that you leave for the young bucks, and there are lessons that the sooner we learn them, the better we will be. And that's what he is saying. It is good for a man to bear the yoke. The yoke of what? Learning how to wait. Learning how to trust. It is good for him to learn that while he is still young. In other words, the quicker and the sooner we can learn to trust and hope in the Lord, the better off we will be. Do you see what, I, what we're getting at with this? The, the sooner we can learn this, the better it will be for all of us. Our hope is in the Lord, because his faithful, steadfast love, this church has not ceased to exist. His mercies have been new day after day after day. And he has proven that he is worth trusting. So what does that mean moving forward for Poplar Spring? How do we take this and put it into practice as we go into the coming days? I want to give you three tenets, three suggestions, three, what I think if we would keep these in our field of vision as we move forward, then we will position ourselves to be a church that God uses and God blesses. Number one, we want to build everything on Scripture. 
We want to build everything on Scripture. This whole series that we've been going through about the church, what is the church, we've spent the month of September talking about the, what the church is, and we want to spend the month of October talking about how the church should function. The scriptures not only tell us what the church is, but how the church is. Not only what we are to do, but how we are to do it. And I think that if we would do that, despite what the visible results might be, if we are willing to do church God's way, then we can rest and wait and trust. So the first thing we want to do is we want to build everything on Scripture. We want to preach the Bible. We want to teach the Bible. We want to equip you to know the Bible. We want you to learn how to study the Bible and apply the Bible yourself. And so that's where we want to focus in the area of the Scripture. So that's the first way. If we would trust God and His Word to do what only, in his, what only He and His Word can do, we'll be off to a great start. Number two, let's practice radical simplicity. Radical simplicity. I think we make church way too complicated. Way too complicated. How? It, let's just do a little thought experiment, okay? You go to this, this church that has, you know, the... the the darkened room and the, and the guitars and the drums and they have this awesome praise team and they, they have the greatest facilities and, and, and the guy gets up and he preaches a, a great sermon and, and it's funny, it makes you laugh. He's got all these cool sayings and he wears like $100 shoes and you're just like, man, and then you leave and go, man, that was church, right? If that's true, then what you're saying is for the past, I don't know, 2000 and 22 years, uh, there hasn't been church. What was church like in the first century? What was church like in the book of Acts? What was church like that Paul told them? What, what are the things that Paul, when, when we see in Scripture that Paul tells the church to do, well, he tells Timothy, preach the word. So we preach. Sounds pretty straightforward, right? What does he tell the Corinthians? Celebrate the Lord's Supper. Pretty straightforward. What does he say in Ephesians? Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, encouraging one another. Seems pretty straightforward. What does he tell the Corinthians to do with those who are caught in, in wayward sin and, and how to deal with them? He says, hold them accountable. So, so let me propose to you this, okay? What if church really is this simple? We meet together, we sing, we pray, you hear the word preached, and we spur one another on to godliness. Now, that you may say that's an oversimplification. I don't think so. If this is what it takes to be a church, a true church, a good church, a biblical church, that just seems really simple to me. So we want to build on the word. Let's practice radical simplicity. Okay. And here's the third that I would like to suggest. Let's begin looking towards the future. 
Let's begin looking towards the future. This is not to say that history is unimportant. And it's not to say that, that we should ignore our history as a church. But, but we have to be careful that we make history more than it should be. And I say this as someone who loves history. If you don't believe me, let me give you an example. Okay? We recently, when we went on vacation, we went to the Outer Banks and then we went to the uh, Wright Brothers Memorial. Anybody ever been there? Wright Brothers Memorial, Kitty Hawk, you ever been there? You know, you, you go around and, oh my, first of all, who designed it that you have to walk that much? <laughs> they should be flying you, right? <laughs> Why am I walking at the flight memorial? Anyway, I'm going to put that soapbox away. But I went in the store and they had a, a book by one of my favorite authors. I've recommended him before, David McCullough. He wrote a book on the Wright Brothers and they had it there. And I didn't have the book. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. I can buy this book on the Wright Brothers by my favorite author at the memorial. So I was like, that's really cool. So I, I go and I check and we start checking out. And the lady goes, would you like us to stamp your book? And I'm like, Why? She's like, well, we have this stamp that says Kitty Hawk, you know, Wright Brothers National Park, and it has the date on it. I'm telling you guys, I nerded out. (laughs) I love history. One of my favorite trips that I've ever taken was to Yorktown. We went to Yorktown and Jamestown and Williamsburg. I, I love history, but we have to be careful that we're not so focused and looking on a history that we fail to look towards the present. Okay. When you walk around Poplar Spring Baptist Church, let me just ask you an honest question. Does it scream we're focused on the past or we're focused on the present? I think it's possible that, that maybe, just maybe, we need to make us a, a little bit of a turn so that we look forward to what God has for us. That we appreciate, that we're thankful, that we remember the past. But just like Jeremiah, we look at God's past faithfulness, but we cast our gaze towards the future and say, let's move, let's go, knowing that God has proven His faithfulness. So we want to build everything on the Word, We want to practice radical simplicity and we want to look towards the future. My vision, if I could say that, I hate that. That's such a cliche nowadays. But but what I think Poplar Spring can thrive at is being a simple, biblical, God-honoring church. If we'll do that, if we'll commit... Say, in the future days, that's the kind of church we want to be. A simple, biblical church. I think you'll find, number one, people are more receptive to that than you think. But also, number two, that there is a freedom and a rest and a trust that if we'll do church the way God asks us, then we won't be anxious while we wait. We can trust and we can hope. And so this morning, I hope you have been reminded of God's faithfulness, not just in the past, but but that as we move forward, that that faithfulness will spur us on to, to think, to step out, to move out. Listen, we can never go back to that golden age that you thought of. 
But how about this? Why don't, why don't we join together to build another golden age? Another period in the life where we sow seeds and we trust. We water and we trust. We see the seedlings and we care and we trust and we watch God cause the growth. I think it's only appropriate that for our response today that we sing great is thy faithfulness. And so I'm going to ask the praise team to come up as I pray. And this will be our time of response today as we sing this song. But let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your great faithfulness and love during these many generations. And, and Lord, as we think about the future, Lord, the, the past harvests and the past uh, provision, God serves as a very good, sound, good and sound foundation for moving forward to seeing what it is that you want to do here. God, help us to be a church that builds everything on your word that practices radical simplicity, and God, that looks to the future in light of your faithfulness in the past. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand together. thy faithfulness in light of what we just heard. Hey.